Welcome to the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder. Today's audio comes from a first of a series of messages that uh, the series is entitled Living and a Larger Story. And this message actually comes from our, our first official service in our new building in downtown Covington on Saturday, October 24th. So this is kind of the inaugural podcast of many to come from our weekend services. And this, this will basically intro uh, the whole series. As part of this series, I'm also asking people to get a copy of Todd Hunter's new book, Christianity Beyond Belief, and uh, maybe hook up with a friend or two to, to discuss the questions that occur at e- the end of each chapter, because it'll be really relevant to what we're going to be covering uh, over the next few weeks of the series. So let's uh, join the audio now uh, as we get the introduction to the series tonight. Tonight is, is part one of living in a larger story. Now, is there anybody in here who liked to play with Legos as a kid? I loved Legos when I was a kid. And um, these toy companies have, have understood something about sentimentality. And, you know, before I get started here, does everybody have one of these? Y'all want to mute these? Because I just, it has happened to me while I'm talking before, and that's really embarrassing. Okay. Uh, the toy companies, they understand something about sentimentality of adults. Uh, that's why you see movies like Transformers. They make such a big splash because it's not that it connects just with kids. It connects with kids' parents. And, uh, you know, it gets you remembering, like, when I was a kid and I played with Transformers or G.I. Joe or whatever. And uh, Lego has understood this recently. I, I bought Ezra, my little boy, he's six years old. I bought him some Legos about two years ago for Christmas because I was in Target and I got hit with that kind of sentimentality thing like, oh, I remember how much I loved Legos and stuff when I was a kid. Ezra's going to love this. And I gave him some Legos and they couldn't compete with everything else that he had. They were just kind of like, oh, that was cool. We built a couple things and then within a couple of weeks they were below his, his bed. And, um, but then earlier, a couple of months ago, we got this game called Lego Star Wars. Anybody ever play that? It's, it's a cool game. Yeah, yeah, you got, you got a lot of boys. Lego Star Wars, it's this game on Nintendo Wii where they reenact all the Star Wars films with Lego people and little Lego spaceships. And, you know, when they get blown up, the, the Lego pieces all break apart. And it's really cool. And, and this stuff was like drugs to Ezra. And immediately we got the game, and he just, his, his eyes glazed over, and, you know, he would, if we let him, he would spend 10 or 12 hours a day on that game. But an interesting thing happened when the Legos, when he was able to find a larger story, all of a sudden, guess what happened? He starts playing with these Legos. These Legos now had a context to fit in. These Legos weren't just some random kind of, you know, what's this, you know, basic toy that with no bells and whistles, all of a sudden this world of possibilities opened up because now they were connected with a story. And so Ezra, when we have Boys Night Out we, or Boys Night In, we'll, we'll watch uh, uh, you know, Star Wars or Return of the Jedi or whatever, he, and we can watch it. He never gets tired of them. And now he loves these little Star Wars guys. Now that's the toys that he wants to buy. And I think in the same way for us as Christians, so much of our struggle is we've got these basic pieces but we've, we've failed to connect it with a larger narrative. And so, so like little kids with, with something that could be cool, we're, we're just kind of, I don't know what to do with this 
Christianity thing. I, I, and, and we find ourselves, you know, maybe showing up at a church, maybe, you know, going through that. But, but, but it really fails to connect with us uh, outside of maybe just kind of reading our Bible a little here and going to heaven when we die, hopefully. And um, I, I, got, I read this quote the other day from uh, Rob Bell. He said, uh, he said, where you begin the story and how you end the story shape and determine what the story even is that you are telling. The way you begin a story, the way you end the story, and we're talking about the story, okay? <laughs> like the Genesis to Revelation. The way you begin the story and the way that you end the story determine and shape what the story even is that you're telling, what kind of story it is you're living. Now, um, wow, you know, Dana, can you go look in my bag in my office? I've got my Bible there, and I, I forgot to read it. <laughs> Genesis 1, if you got your Bible, you can uh, pull it up, and uh, I'll probably try to recite some from memory. But um, for those of you who are in here who are songwriters or poets, you might have picked, on, picked up on this, this idea that, oh, thank you, um, that the first chapter of the whole Bible starts out with poetry. It starts out with a poem, Genesis 1, and it's got the cadence of the poem. It's, it's, it's got this rhythm of lyrics, and, and isn't that a beautiful thing, that it starts with poetic language, and it's, it's this kind of, kind of cycle of, in the beginning was God, and God created, and God said that it was good, and then God did this, and then he said it was good. And then God did this. And you see this unfolding like poetry. Well, uh, the second chapter of Genesis really tells the f- same story as the first chapter. The second chapter tells it more as a narrative. It's the beginning of a story. And they're slightly different, but they give us some huge clues to the beginning of the story. And they give us some Great ground to plant our story in. God creates life forms, plants, trees, dogs, cats, people. He creates life forms that have within them the very uh, force of life. In other words, God didn't create all the trees in the world. He created some trees that were going to make other trees, right? God didn't fill the world with all the animals. He created a handful of animals that were going to, in turn create more animals and there's this process of life that that if if you you know have you ever noticed with your lawn in the middle of louisiana in the middle of the summer between all the rain and all the sun if you let that thing go more than about five days you can't even get a lawnmower over it life has this way of just taking over you can see homes down in in areas of new orleans where uh, after katrina the people left, and some of them haven't taken care of their property for four years now. And in some of those places, it doesn't even look like a house ever existed there now. It's, life has kind of taken over. But in that, God put in the middle of this garden, he put, he put humans to take care of it, to, 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 to make it, uh, to actually be stewards of it, to actually shape it and be co-creators in a sense. I mean, I, I think a lot of the time when we think of Genesis, we think it was just perfect, like in a sense of static perfection, like it was c- perfectly complete and there was nothing. But, but that wasn't the case. I mean, it, it, was, 
It was plants and animals and, and things growing and things that needed to be taken care of. And God invited humans into that world to kind of cultivate it and to be stewards of it and to rule and reign and, 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 and actually rule under God in the midst of this and, and, and shape it. And I think it's that very instinct that, that we have from the very beginning of the story that, that comes out in us. You ever, you ever, you find that there's things in your life that you just love to do. You feel like, man, when I'm doing this thing, I feel like it just drawing something out of me. You know, for me, it's, it's playing music or, 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 or writing. I, I just love that. I, I feel like when I'm doing that, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it, something is just coming out of me. But, but for some of you, it may, I mean, some, some people like organizing things like, like my wife, Dina, like, like she gets in these modes where she'll like start putting stuff in and things and coming up with innovative ways. And I'm like, Oh, that just, that's, that seems like a bummer, <laughs> but, <laughs> but that's that, that Genesis inclination of stewardship of ordering things and organizing things. You know, for some people, it may be business, you know, some people in the church, you, you, you do business and you kind of think, oh, well, you know, the, the professional people are those people that work at churches, you know, and I'm, I'm just a guy that supports them in this. Well, no, no, that you've got that, that same impulse from Genesis, which is to order, arrange, you know, make things available for people. And, and, and that's from God. And God puts man in the garden to kind of be stewards of that, to love and care for creation and relationship with God. So we see, we see in Genesis 1 and 2, we see a harmony within hierarchy. God, man, and then creation. And as long as things were in that order, everything was good. And it's what the Old Testament calls shalom. You ever heard that word before, shalom? We think of peace in a sense a lot of times of like it's just kind of a lack of conflict. But the, but the Old Testament concept of shalom was really it's this wholeness. It's like everything is right. It's in its place. It's rightly related. All the strings on the guitar are in tune together. And that's, that's how things start. That's how the story begins. There was no separation originally between heaven and earth. There was no sense of... I'm going to heaven when I die because there was no such thing as death and no such thing as heaven. It was all there. There was one realm. God was with people and uh, heaven was with earth. Spirit was soil. They were all in the same place. The goal of Genesis 1 and 2 is not to escape to some other realm where God is. There is no higher realm, just one place. And if heaven is a place where God has things as he wants them, then Genesis 1 and 2 is a picture of that place. Whatever you love about life is found in that place. And I think for us, you know, I think a lot of times, have you ever been kind of bummed thinking about the, the concepts of heaven in our popular culture? I mean, I mean, if I'm honest, I got to say the whole thing about being an angel on a cloud with a heart doesn't do it for me. And I'm a musician. I like playing instruments. I like learning new things. But I can see how if you don't sing or play an instrument at all, that could like be a bummer to think that, dude, is that all there's going to be? Is it just going to be like an unending church service in the sky? Uh, well, I don't think that's, that's where God was going because the beginning of the story, how he originally created it, 
it wasn't that. It was actually, there was actually work to be done. There was stuff to get done. And there was things that involved the heart and the passion and the relationships of human beings with God. The story starts here with connection, with beauty, with harmony. There's no separation, no alienation, no shame. Now, if you got your Bible, now, now that I've not actually opened it after getting it here, um, Let's look at the end of the story. Revelations 20, 21, and 22. So the beginning of the story, Genesis 1 and 2. The end of the story, Gen- uh, Revelations 2, 1 and 2, 2. Revelations 21 and 22. Uh, in, in verse 21, John The Apostle John's talking in a vision. He says, I I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. John goes on to talk about what what this is going on, what's going on there in in the the final unfolding of God's plans in the story we have contained in the Bible, at least. And and we we get this picture of a city of heaven crashing into earth and that God, what started in the beginning in a garden has now evolved and developed into a city. And just as there was no separation between heaven and earth in the beginning, in the end of the story, there's no separation between heaven and earth. God has established his kingdom right here. And it says this city is, is for the healing of the nations, the reconciling of things, the putting things right. And we actually see that in the last two chapters, there's still a little bit of work to be done, although God has, has confidently dealt with sin. So if you take out all of the stuff about sin in the Bible, what does that leave you with? <laughs> it leaves you with like the first two chapters and the last two chapters. It leaves you with a pamphlet. It leaves you basically with God's intentional purposes. It leaves you, and it's remarkable when you look at the first two chapters and the last two chapters, they're very similar. They're very similar, and you can really see the, uh, let me, I'm I'm just, (laughs) how low can you go here? Uh, I feel a little bit high here, but, uh, uh, but it's remarkable how similar we see these two places, that, that relationship, shalom, harmony is restored just as it was in the beginning. Now, Genesis 3 tells us the story of the fall, doesn't it? it it's, it's original sin. And this is where the first people rebel against God's order. They rebel against what God wants to do. They think they can uh, do it better so to speak has anybody seen where the wild things are new movie i can't i'm the only person that's seen that in this room okay it's not a good one to take your kids to probably it's a little dark but i enjoyed it as an adult but the story is about a kid who he's kind of hurt he's kind of separated from his own father and he decides uh to run away and he ends up at this island where there's all these monsters and uh Somehow, by a a turn of events, he becomes their king. But he finds out 
in ruling them the very things he was running from, the very destruction and alienation and hurt that he was feeling, the rejection that he was feeling as king, he only starts causing the same things among the handful of these creature things that he's, he's ruling. The very alienation he was running from, he's now causing. And that's what sin is like, in a sense. We've, mankind didn't like the hierarchy, the harmony in hierarchy. So man says, no, God, you know, I know you're supposed to be in charge of this thing, but we want to kind of do it our want. We think we can be a better king than you. And so when the strings came out of tune, dissonance entered into the world and... Sin is basically a disruption of shalom. It's a dis- disconnection. That, that shalom, that wholeness, that connection is now severed, not just between man and God, but between man and creation, between fellow human beings. Now there's, there's shame. There's, there's all these things. And we're not going to get a whole lot into that tonight. But the point is, if you begin the story in Genesis 3, the story is going to simply be, about sin and Jesus forgiving your sins so you can go to heaven when you die. And that's why we have bumper stickers that say, not perfect, just forgiven. Yeah, good. And so this type of mentality, when you start the story at Genesis 3, it puts the work of Jesus mainly as a forgiving work. Jesus gets rid of the problem. And the fundamental posture is what, is what people aren't instead of what they are. And so as Christians, we come across from that posture with a Genesis 3 beginning, it's you're not good enough. You're a mess. You don't measure up. And then Christianity simply becomes about sin management. That becomes the thing that... that, that uh, is, is big in our vision. Evangelism then becomes mainly concerned to convince people of how bad they are. And this gives, us, this gives, gives, us, gives rise to a, an evacuation mentality. Like, I'm just hanging on until I can get out of here because the real action isn't here on earth. The real action's back there. So some bright morning when this life is over I'll fly away that's when things are going to be taken care of and so we're left have you ever been around Christians or maybe you've been a Christian yourself this way I certainly have where you're just you're kind of holding on this whole place is going to hell and you don't know what to do you try to tell a few people they're doing bad and but you're just hanging on so you can get there and we're kind of paralyzed when you get the story right though it puts sin in its proper perspective See, sin is my participation and your participation in a way that is anti-shalom. It's disconnected and rebelling against God's order. It's not just that you've done a couple of things bad in your life. It's like we've actually rebelled against the order that God wants. Genesis 1-2, as the starting point, starts by telling people who they are. It views people through the lens of God's original intent. It sees people that, you know, man, Kurt, you're a mess, but, but I see something in you. I, I see that you were made for something better, man. You were made for something better. You already know you're a mess, probably. 
I'm not picking on you, Kurt, but uh, <laughs> you're just an easy target. Uh, <laughs> but when Genesis 3 is your starting point, when sin is the dominant starting point of your story, then it's all going to be telling people how bad they are, how you don't measure up. If you could just get your life right, if you can just follow these rules, then maybe you can get in. When Genesis 1 and 2 is your starting point, you realize that we're all created in the image of God. And that image may be marred, it may be messed up, but there's still something in there. And why? Why are you living at this level when God's called you to something more? Uh, I want to read something that, that my wife wrote, and she didn't know I was going to read this, but uh, I think this is a good example of a Genesis 1 and 2 version of, of looking at things. There was a kid that we were mentoring in Kids Hope this last year. He, was, uh, he just had a bad family situation without getting into any of the details. I mean, just a bad situation. And he was one of the oldest kids in school and just shuffled around from one place to the next, had family members in jail and stuff. And the kid was, uh, he was a good kid. He just had a lot of things against him. And one night, God just really began to break Dina's heart. And she wrote this, this, this little poem and, and eventually ended up giving it to him. But it says this, let love be louder. I see it. It is the light of hope. Keep going. Keep pushing. I know it feels as though you cannot fight another battle, but you must continue. You're climbing. You're straining. You're struggling. Your hands, when they reach the top, it is as though someone steps on your fingers to make you lose your grasp and you fall. The sound of the fall, you've heard it so many times. It is loud. It is deafening. All your mistakes, all the things you don't have, all the people who have not been there for you, all the hurt fills your soul. And where do you go from here? I pray that you will see what I see. I see that you are destined for greatness. You have such desire to be more. I see that you, in spite of the life you have been given, you keep going. I pray that you continue to have strength to pick yourself up after every, every fall. I pray that when the self-defeating thoughts come, you will remember the love that has been shown to you no matter how small. Let love be louder. I believe in you. You will overcome. You know, that's, that's, a, that's starting at the right place in the story. The guy had a lot of problems, a lot of issues, was doing a lot of things wrong. But why are you living this way? God has so much more for you. God's got a bigger thing. And it's not just about going to heaven when you die. God, you can actually experience relationship with God that begins to, to change things in you right now. Right now in this place. A Genesis 1-2 view sees people as made in the image of God. Instead of condemning folks for what they aren't, it sees something better within See, we are co-creators, in a sense, partners with God. We're not God, but he's invited us to be a part and to, to use our creativity to steward creation, to help bring God's plans to pass. And this, to me, this, the Genesis 1-2, Revelations 21-22, that beats the heck out of all our popular notions about heaven in my book. Because... With Genesis 1 as the beginning, heaven and earth become one again. The new Jerusalem comes to earth. 
And just like in the beginning, God's original intent, we rule and we reign and we steward the earth and our eternity is unfolding all the crazy, amazing things that God has hidden in his creation. I tell you, I love I, I love listening to some of these podcasts with scientists and they start discovering crazy things about the universe and crazy things about atoms and crazy things about the human genome and stuff. And it seems like the further they dig, the more that they don't understand and the more wonderful and amazing these things are. They, they are infinitely small and infinitely large. And God has invited us into that to be a part. It's not some boring thing by and by. But it's what God's actually called us into now. Matthew 19, verse 22, 28, Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on the glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. Jesus talks about the renewal of all things. Paul in Colossians 1:19 said this, For God was pleased to have the fullness dwell in him, Christ, and through Jesus to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, if, if your story starts in Genesis 3 with sin, and it's just about going to heaven when you die, it's just like my little boy having some Legos that, you know, you could do something with them. But when you've got a story to fit into, that's as great as the story that God has here that unfortunately... For all of our reading the Bible, we seem to have missed it a great bit. Then you, then you realize that everything, everything matters. Everything. Whether you're taking care of horses, running a deli, working an engineering job, working law, working plumbing, playing music, whatever. It all matters to God. It's spiritual work. And as we step into what Jesus has done, you know, the first day of the resurrection was new creation. Jesus steps into the middle of this story that has become dissonant and disconnected and alienated. He steps into the middle of that. And on Easter morning, the resurrection, he begins new creation. And he steps out, inaugurating a new time where people can now begin stepping back into what it was in the beginning. That now we can not just be in relationship with God, not just... Uh, have a good future when we die, but that we can actually be God's touch on the world around us. We can touch kids in schools. We can be a part of what God's doing in community here. We can be a light to the folks on our jobs, and we can actually be a part of reconciling people to his story. It's my hope, it's my hope that in the next few weeks, as we take this journey together about living in a larger story, that we're going to find out something of what it means and, and its impact on our life. We're going we're gonna to find that, that God, God loves a lot of things, not just this idea that we've kind of bought into that he, he loves just this kind of disembodied soul part of human beings. God loves all of you, and he loves art, and he loves trees, <laughs> and he loves Covington. He, he loves it all. What's it say in John three sixteen? God so loved the world. You know what that world that word world means in Greek, the universe, the entire thing he creates it. God loves it all so much. But how much do we, how many times do we read that verse and we just think that, no, God just so loves the souls of human beings that <laughs> he sent Jesus. No, God loves it all. And he's invited us to get involved on renewing it, 
reconciling it and bringing it back to him. So we're going to get a bigger view that's about seeing transformation happen in our own lives, transformation happen in the community around here on the North Shore with fatherless children, with single moms, with Africans who need clean water, with the arts, even with trees, and in our relationships as husbands and mothers and fathers and people in community together around Jesus. So, like I said, in the coming weeks, we're going we're gonna to launch into a couple of things with these books that I said and, and, and start getting together outside of this, grabbing coffee, grabbing lunch, whatever it is you want to grab. But then we can just begin talking around Jesus and, 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 and letting him connect our hearts one to another. Why don't you guys stand? Lord, we, we thank you tonight. We thank you for inviting us into a, a story that's, that's bigger than maybe the story we've been living in, God. Lord, and, and we just ask that in the coming days you'll open our eyes to a wider view, Lord, that, that we can begin to um, kind of zoom out and get the big picture a little, God, where, and where we've lost the plot, God, where we've, we've kind of started dividing things in our life between sacred and, and, and secular, between spiritual and just, you know, the other things we've got to do, God, that, Lord, that we could begin to partner with you and to experience your life in all these areas, God, that we could see that it all matters, that it's all a part of our worship to you, God. And, God, we could be a part of reconciling your creation to you. So we just, we just ask for that, God. We just thank you for inviting us into this journey, Lord. And Lord, even as the, the first service here at North Shore tonight, God, we, we, just, we expect good things for this place and, and, and for this community, Lord, that we could be a blessing because you've blessed us so richly, God, that we could give because you've given us so much, Lord. And it's in your name that we pray these things tonight. Amen. I realize there's probably a couple of you in here that might like some prayer for something tonight. So if you want to, you know, kind of make your way up here in a minute, you know, as we dismiss here, you can, we'll, we'll definitely pray with you. And if not, hey, thanks for coming out and come back in a couple of weeks if, you, if you're interested. And uh, thank y'all. And you can fill out that thing there at the back and uh, register to help or serve or get emails from us and, and we'll be with you. Okay. Thank you all.